What's poppin' y'all? It's your man, James. Say what sales, Buckley, and you are about to dive into another episode of Make It Happen Mondays with your host, John Barrows. This episode is brought to you by our partners, Salesloft, Gong, VanillaSoft, Vidyard, Proposify, ZoomInfo, LoomCube, and our newest partner, Rise. Today, our guest is Dr. Diane Hamilton, a behavioral expert, CEO and founder of Tonera, and creator of the Curiosity Code Index. Today, Dr. Hamilton and John are going to discuss EQ, our emotional quotient, and how it impacts our day-to-day in sales. She and John are going to touch topics like stress, anxiety, empathy, self-awareness, and how leadership demonstrates and leverages EQ in their roles. Diane believes that while it may be hard, constructive feedback is essential for growth and development. This episode is packed full of mindset and behavioral and tactical value. So without further ado, let's pass it over to John and Diane in the studio to make it happen. Good afternoon, everybody. This is John Barrows with Make It Happen Mondays. Hopefully you all had a fantastic weekend. I am continuing to struggle dealing with the Patriots, continuing to suck, but realizing that is the new normal at this at this point. But I am extremely excited today because I have somebody on who can potentially answer a question that I ask almost every person that comes on here and nobody has a great answer. And Diane Hamilton, welcome to the show. Uh, CEO over at Tonera. How are you? I am great. I, now, no pressure. Nobody's no, going to answer. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, it's nice a, way to set me up for that, right? <laughs> it's funny. Like, a lot of times, like when I get introduced, they're like, John Barrow's like, da 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 da. I'm like, oh, come on, man. Like, don't do that to me. <laughs> but, right, right, right. but um, you know, one of the reasons I actually started this podcast was because. Uh, I always like learning from people who are smarter than me, right? And, and bringing and, and being, and this is the theme of today, of genuine curiosity. So, um, Diane, tell us uh, where you're coming from and, and kind of give us a little bit of your background here so we can set the stage for this, what I think is an extremely important conversation to have. You know, it is an interesting conversation. And uh, I think it, you know, I was one of those annoying kids that asked why, why, why all the time. Yeah. I mean, we've yeah. seen those and everybody starts off that way. But I managed to stay that way. And I, it made me curious to know why other people didn't stay that way. But my background is really uh, in sales. I, I started out in every kind of sales you could probably think of, from agricultural chemicals to uh, pharmaceuticals and then uh, real estate lending. I was selling computers and software. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you name it. And there's no way that you're going to learn anything better in life than to have a sales job because uh, talk about rejection, talk about having mm-hmm. to be curious and learn things. I mean, everything you could, I think everybody should have to have one year of sales under their belt. I, I 100% agree with you. I think I actually have this whole idea, like when you get out of college, before you can get a job doing anything, you have to get like a set of steak knives or something like that. And you literally have to go door to door and and feel that rejection, feel that what it's like. And you can't really get a job until you sell all of them. And you can't sell them to friends or family. You have to sell them to people oh, yeah. that don't know you, right? So right, you can at right. least go, because sales, that skill, entrepreneurship, you name it, you know, translates to almost everything you do. So I absolutely agree with you. Well, I mean, think about it. Some of the sales I had, they actually took the yellow pages and threw them at you and said, Hey, dial for dollars. Have a good, good time. You know? yep. <laughs> that gets you the, that thick skin tenacity that you have to have for so many other things. And I think yep. that that led, you know, it led to my desire to learn more for one thing. And then I, um, I, as a pharmaceutical rep, my company paid for us to have higher education. So I got my master's. Hey, they'll pay for it. Why not? Kind of thing. Oh, yeah. you know, I, I never thought I wanted to teach or do anything like that. 
but after I did my master's, I really liked the um, distance learning aspect. And I got mm. into uh, taking classes online. And I loved that because to get me to go to class and sit through lectures was mm. just death for me. So I, I decided to try to get a, uh, my doctorate just because I want to see how hard it was. I was curious, you know. So mm -hmm. and turns out it's pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why I didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, but once I had that, I started teaching a lot of classes, and I, I've taught more than a thousand business classes in in my wow. day, and I've worked as a doctoral chair, which is like a job where you help people get their dissertation. You're the their chair to help them through their process, so that's a really hard job. Yeah. And then I ran the MBA program at the Forbes School of Business, and so worked in that setting, and just kept working in all these different um, aspects of uh, just teaching. But as I left i didn't want to run the entire mba program it was pretty it was a lot to do and so i thought i wanted to get back into speaking i'd written books in the past uh i'd written books about personality assessing because i'd gotten interested in that from uh writing my dissertation my dissertation was on uh the impact of emotional intelligence on sales performance so no way, really? I, I was, yeah because i was like how are really? these salespeople so good and these people suck at it right <laughs> i want to know why and so I started looking into that. And the real um, thing at the time, you you heard somewhat a little bit about emotional intelligence, but I hadn't. I mean, Daniel yeah. Goleman had made it really popular back in the day, yeah. but his book came out in 95. And uh, of course, others had studied it before that, but it really hadn't hit the popularity when I had gotten there. So when I thought about it, I thought, oh, this is a cute little subject. Let me look into this. And I had no idea what I'd hit, how important, <laughs> right? And so... That had made me interested in just assessments in general. And um, I had written a book with my youngest daughter about personality assessments, which I th we made it kind of irreverent for young people for the time. How she, old was she when you did it? She was in college. I wrote a lot of it and then she made it more irreverent and kind of sarcastic, kind yeah. of, you know, and um, it, it was fun to write. It was, it's not you, it's your personality. So it was. Nice. <laughs> 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 I love it. And, yeah, it was fun. And so that was, I think, my third book I had written one about online education, one about uh, career, uh, reinventing your career. And then we wrote that. And I didn't think I would write another book. But then um, after I left Forbes School Business, I started uh, back to speaking. And actually, uh, when I went back to go you do my website as a speaker and consultant again, I hadn't been interviewed in a while for my books. And so I thought, well, I'll go get an interview or two under my belt to make my website more up to date. Yeah. And I had just come off of interviewing people as part of my job as the MBA program chair. I had had billionaire Ken Fisher had come in to speak to the students. And if you've ever seen people interview him, he's he's a tough interview. He's really smart yeah. and he's kind of he's got a biting wit and you never know if he's kidding or not. And, and that was my very first interview of all time. They threw me. I asked for it. I'm like, but I'm yeah, thrown yeah. in nice. with this guy. And he was, so, you know, he ended up being somebody I really that was close to later. He actually wrote uh, a nice thing for my book, but it was funny because my very first interview with him, I'm talking to him and he, he's, uh, I, you know, I just said, Hey, I, I've watched your interviews. He goes, well, I'm a lot nicer than that. And I'm like, Oh, oh where are we going with this? And he <laughs> said, yeah, you seem to be or something like, you know, yeah. and he goes, I haven't even started the profanity yet. I'm like, <laughs> wow. Nice. This yeah. is going to go. Where's this going? Right. So I got into this loving to interview thing from him, really. And the next few interviews um, that they did of me, I thought, well, I would like to do that. And I thought, huh. And the guy who interviewed me for my web website, I said, uh, well, you have a nationally syndicated radio show. How did you get that? 
And uh, he said, hey, they have one spot open. You'd have to be there in two weeks and you have to figure this all out and have all your guests and everything ready and your ads. And uh, all right, I'll do it. And I've thousand people interviewed later, plus I don't know how many more than a thousand I've interviewed. Um, that's how I got into the radio show aspect. And as I did that, I started interviewing all these people who were super curious and interesting people. And I thought, oh, I'm going to write a book on curiosity because I would notice some of my students maybe wanted me to hand them a fish instead of teach them to fish. And yeah. I wanted I wanted that desire, that real strong sense of asking and desire to know things. Yeah. And as I started writing the book, I thought, hmm, I'm just writing about curiosity. I want to do more than that. I want to fix it. So I started to look for the assessments on, you know, what how do you assess your curiosity? And all the assessments out there told you if you had higher or low levels. And I'm like, you know, you're medium or you're high or what? I'm like, okay, so I'm low. Then what do I do? Yeah. That didn't help me. And I yeah. want <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. to know if you hire somebody who's curious or not, but then yeah. how do you fix it? Right? right. So I wanted to create an assessment that determined what things inhibit curiosity. Because if you know what stops you, then you can move forward and you can make a plan to overcome it. So that's when Very I created the curiosity code index that went with my book. And, and, uh, that kind of led to my interest in assessments. My book on perception that's coming out has an assessment for perception. And, yep. and so that's how I get to this. That's my long-winded answer to <laughs> I love it. No, I absolutely love it. I, I, back up, if we could back up a little bit as far as EQ is concerned, mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you can measure from an EQ standpoint? Because I've always been fascinated. I've always said, you know, for me, I'm definitely not the IQ. I'm more the EQ. You know, if there, if there was one more, if there was one thing that I've been, you know, somewhat blessed with in my in my life is uh, is a genuine curiosity and uh, an ability to kind of assess situations pretty quickly and without a lot of data make some pretty decent decisions, right? And mm -hmm. I and I don't I don't overthink things. Um, whereas other people are the exact opposite, right? They get lost in in those details. So. Mm -hmm. Like, what are some of the things, let, let's talk about EQ first and, and then let's let's morph over into curiosity, but sure. what are some of the things you look for to, to understand somebody's level of EQ? You know, EQ is interesting because EQ means emotional quotient. So you're measuring your level of emotional intelligence and just like IQ, your intellect, your EQ is really measuring your ability to understand your own emotions as well as those and others and act appropriately based on that understanding. But if you look at different researchers, like Daniel Goldman has his levels of, of or his uh, aspects of what he calls emotional intelligence. In my research, I used another uh, instrument by a guy named Baron who had different things. And the reason I picked that one was because he included stress management. And I was dealing with salespeople. And I thought, well, I wanted to look at stress particularly, you know, but yeah. there's a lot of things that come under that umbrella. Um, it, it's really broken into two parts. It's how your your emotions and the emotions of others. And then within okay. those two umbrellas are sub factors. And a lot of those factors, you know, really break down into your interpersonal and intrapersonal skills. And uh, the most important one, I think, that I keep running into over and over and over again that falls under the umbrella of emotional intelligence is empathy. I was going to say empathy. Yeah, empathy is huge because it's my ability to put myself in John's shoes and yep. you know feel it from your perspective. And I used a lot of that when my research for perception because I saw perception as a kind of a combination of IQ, EQ, CQ for curiosity quotient and CQ for cultural quotient. And it's a process. And for you to really understand uh, somebody else's perception of a situation or a, a setting – 
you have to have that empathy. You have to have that curiosity to ask questions, but then you have to be able to see things from their viewpoint. And a lot of people have difficulty with that. And Goldman did some great work in the area of emotional intelligence. Travis Bradbury and others have done a lot of great work uh, that have added to the popularity of it. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that the real concern people have a very challenging time with emotions because you just get overreact and then you get um, in this sense of it's all about you sometimes and you forget, you know, that emotions can take over so much. And that's why advertisers make a lot of things that play on your emotions. You know, it's a big part of how we respond in life. So uh, Goldman's work was really important because it's uh, leaders can really be much more impactful if they have strong levels of emotional intelligence. But I know Travis had some great research that showed that uh, some of the, the CEOs had some of the lowest levels of EQ. And, and I think a lot of that is they get, they had it, they do well, they get promoted, but then they start to get distanced from what the reality, because people start saying yes to everything that they say, and they get well, out of the important conversations. And that's a, that's a problem. Well, I also look at people like Elon Musk or or yeah. Steve Jobs, right? And I, I think their EQ is, yeah, I don't know. You know what I mean? Their IQ is through the roof. Uh-huh. But like the horror stories I've heard about other people working for them, right? right, right. Is they, they just, they no matter what, if they're, you know, if that person's in front of them, then they're the problem, right? That type of scenario because they can't, their EQ is, is off. I don't know. It's not strong. It's just... It's just in a different than than a quote unquote normal person in a lot of ways. Well, you know, there's different aspects of what, you know, and that's a com- conversation I've had with a lot of people about Steve Jobs specifically because everybody can relate to Steve. Sure. And he, there's two Steve Jobs in everybody's mind when I talk to them. There's the Steve Jobs the first time he was in the company, and then there's a the Steve Jobs the second time when he came yeah, back. True. Yeah. And the first one was brutal at a lot of things, and his emotional intelligence wasn't as developed. He did get better the second time. Yeah. But there's aspects of him where people would buy into his vision that he was able to get tie into people's emotions that he actually had high levels of emotional intelligence in certain areas. Yeah. But his ability to empathize your pain and suffering and, and torturing. <laughs> not, not even close. <laughs> not so great. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? So, Impulse control, maybe not so good. <laughs> uh, super tactical. And I've, 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 I heard this a long time ago is yawning. You know how we yawn? Like yeah. you yawn and then I yawn. Is yeah, that a sign yeah. of empathy? That's what they say. You know, yeah. I, I think if I'm thinking about it, though, I'm not going to yawn because I'm thinking yeah, of course. about it, you know. But yeah. I, it's funny, though. You know who I had on my show was Paul Ekman, who did the uh, research that they use for Lie to Me. Did you ever see the show Lie to Me? Oh, yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, 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 look yeah, at, yeah. If, if you look to the right, you look to the left, yep. your mouth goes one way or whatever. Yep. You know? um, they used his research. And, you know, what was interesting about that facial expressions. Um, we all have the same ones. Like, I think there were six of them that. Mm-hmm. Universal. Whether you're blind or not, you still make no the kidding. same facial expression. I thought that was really interesting. That me. is super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how can like, how can you understand? Like, let's talk about self awareness, right? Because a lot of that is obviously empathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the you know knowing putting myself in your shoes, but also knowing myself. Mm-hmm. H- how do you know that you're not self aware? Yes. Sometimes it takes a 360 evaluation. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you need Daniel other people. Do you need other people to tell you? Sometimes you do. Daniel yeah. Goldman and I talked about this. And it's um, a lot of these self assessments can only get you so far. And right. you sometimes have to get outside perspectives. And a lot of leaders hesitate to do that. 
but it's really important that you get other people's input into what, what you don't know what you don't know. And to answer any kind of assessment, if you don't recognize that some people are holding back information, um, I, I could think of a guy I worked with who really just didn't get it of how he came across yeah. <laughs> to people. And even if he was told, I don't even know if you would ever get it. There's there's some people you just you're never going to get this. And yeah. it, it, it's something that it, it's the really uh, inspired leader who recognizes that you need outside influence to yeah. give you some perspective, because if you don't know, uh, if you don't get that negative feedback, it may be hard to take a little bit. But if you're, you're never going to grow if you don't yeah. get it. So it is critical to get some outside uh, uh, feedback. But I think that's why a lot of these assessments can be helpful, just the discussion of what's behind them. And I've given a lot of different kinds of uh, assessments beyond emotional intelligence tests like DISC or Myers-Briggs and different things. And you'll hear people criticize Myers-Briggs or some of these tests, but because they did, oh, you don't want to put people in boxes. And, but you know what it does is it brings up a discussion of if you don't know what you are when you're filling out a self-assessment, that's a little weird to me. You know, you kind of know if you're filling it out, you just answered. So you're the one who gave the input. Exactly. Right. 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 But, but you may not know the opposite of what you are. And when you go into these training sessions and just to know, like, I can remember when the, in the um, MBTI, the Myers-Briggs uh, yep. training, they would put us on different sides of the room and disc, they put you a D in one corner and then, you know, you how they do all that stuff. Yeah. What was interesting to me was when they go, okay, who likes this? And then, you know, like everybody on one side of the room had this one kind of personality and then everybody on the opposite side had the opposite. And the whole other side of the room loved this one thing. For example, how many of you like it when people give you uh, baked cookies for you? And I'm like, I don't care about it. Somebody... <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> for me. Yeah. And the whole other side of the room was just like, I want somebody to bake me cookies. And that was really interesting to me because I'm thinking, you know, by knowing that, that to me, it meant nothing, but to them, it was so important that somebody went out of their way. When I recognize that trait in people, I'll bring them cookies, yeah. you know? And, and when you're in sales, here we're back to the sales training, mm -hmm. learning what your customer values, looking at what it is that means something yeah. to them is so critical. It, that that learning that it was interesting because I think that was the T versus the F personality traits on yep. the Myers Briggs and the thinking trait is more facts and figures or it might and I think the feeling was more you make your decisions based on values and and um, I, apparently I had very little of the cookie baking need but <laughs> yeah. yep. I'll eat them if you give them to me but it's not yeah. like and I'll go oh thank you forever for that you know. And I think that's, and that's that transition to curiosity, right? Because uh -huh. what's important to us is not no matter, especially in sales, you know, so many sales are product-based. Hey, look at all this stuff and how great it all is. And at the end of the day, if they don't care about it, it doesn't matter. And I, you know, I had this personal experience with this recently. I just did a, a LinkedIn post on it actually, where, you know, my mom, right? Uh -huh. Actually, my mom's a career consultant. She did Myers-Briggs. So, you know, I've had that covered since I was like 10 years old. I've had a resume since I was like five. And, <laughs> and my mom, you know, I, I put value on like if it's your birthday. So this was the scenario. It was her. It was my dad's birthday, okay. and my sister and my dad have very similar. You know, their dates are very similar, right? Okay. And I, it's been a crazy year, so I I don't like I didn't send a card, okay? But I usually get really thoughtful presents. You know, where I travel, I'm always keeping them in the back of my head, and I'm always picking up little trinkets or whatever it is. And I put a lot of effort. My dad's kind of a hermit. 
and 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 I want to get him to do stuff. So I give him puzzles and these like really thoughtful stuff. But I don't give a shit about a card. I personally yeah, could care less about cards, right? <laughs> but my mom, every Thanksgiving, Halloween, you name huh. it, I get a card with a little note in it and whatever. And I just think it's a kind of, okay, so I got to go to have somebody else tell me what to say that, that huh. like, I just think they're stupid. Right? Yeah, I yeah. I, I, that's yeah. how I feel, right? Me too. So fast forward, I didn't, crazy, you know, year, I, I didn't send a card, okay? Huh. But I called both my sister and my dad mm-hmm. on their birthdays, had long conversations with them, happy birthday, all that stuff. Fast forward, I, you know, I talking to my mom and she calls and, and she asked me, she goes, is everything okay? <laughs> and I'm like, why? Uh-huh. She goes, well, you know, you know, you, you didn't send your sister a card on her birthday. You didn't send your father. And usually you're so thoughtful with those things. Yeah. And I'm just wondering why. And I was actually pissed. I'm like, are you shitting me, mom? <laughs> I'm like, the amount of effort that I go in to give, like to think of gifts and uh-huh. stuff like that. And I spent yeah. an hour and a half, two hours with each of them on the, on the like for their birthdays. Uh-huh. And you're giving me shit for not giving them a card. But I had to then reframe my mindset into she, th- those thoughtful gifts that doesn't at their age at this point cards are what they love it, it and so interesting yeah so i'm I, sitting I there i'm like their perception of what but they're i think they're also looking at it's out of character for you and so is there something true. wrong you know true. what i mean but i you know as you say that it reminded me my um husband used to give me these cards you know the pre-printed ones and then yeah. bob and i'm like <laughs> What am I supposed to do with this, right? Yeah. So I would give him so much crap about that. You know, mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't want a card that somebody else wrote that you wrote your name on the, what does that do for me? Right. And he thought that was, you know, kind of mean, kind of got mad at me. Like, you know, yeah. like, you know, I, I give you a nice card. So he, then the, like the next week we go to his mom's house and he gives her a card just like that. She's sobbing. It's the nicest. <laughs> And right. I'm like, okay, I'm a horrible person. I, right. I, I, you know what I mean? It's, but you have to see what the person, what it yeah. means to them. And so yeah. I would always buy her a sappy card because always. that's what she wants, right? But don't give me a sappy card because that's not. And that's what it is to understand empathy, to yeah. kind of put yourself in. This is maybe that's what your family wants, the card. And that's their thing. And you, you, you do, do that. And I, I don't think I, in my family, they were always like, oh, well, I like this. So you should like this. And, exactly. and that's, you can't, you can't do that with people. And in the business right. setting, it's really critical to, to find out, like I was in so many sales contests that uh, I'm super competitive at yep. when we worked in sales. I've won like present circle and all these different things. Cause I just, I'll, I'm tenacious and I'll just die to win. Yeah. So I can remember they gave these, they do these contests. Who could beat Diane on time on the uh, phone calls? Because she had to be on the phone for like four hours a day and nobody could get more than two hours. And I always got more than four hours. But the the gift for winning was Suns tickets. And I already had Suns tickets, so I didn't need Mm -hmm. (laughs) some. And I'm like, I don't want the present, but it wasn't rewarding for me. They they, they never asked me, but because I was super competitive, I wanted to win anyway. And then I'd give the Suns tickets away. But you, for somebody who's not in sales and doesn't have that motivation, you have to find out what it is. If you're giving them Suns tickets and they don't even like basketball or, you know, developing what people like and meeting them in the way that they want to be needed. I've met, I mean, it's the Tony Alessandro Platinum rule. You, mm-hmm. you know, 
you, know, you just do unto others as they would want, not what you would want. hundred so percent. That's a huge part of uh, the emotional intelligence that we're talking about. Absolutely. Know? I mean, I learned yeah. that at an early age, very similar when I was a, when I was a VP of sales and I had six or seven reps and I had, you know, different male, female, different stages of their lives. And I would yeah. put one incentive plan together and some reps would be all in on it. And other reps would, I would be like, why don't you want that? And, you know, reading a few books and duh. So I legit ever since then sat down with each of them and said, okay, outside of money and all that others, like what, what are your goals? What are your plans? What do you want to accomplish? Yeah. What's important to you? And yeah. so if you hit your quota this year, uh, you know, if you get 120%, what would you like to see? Right. So they created the goal, not me. And yeah. then it was like, okay, cool, let's go for that. And the motivation was through the roof for them to go get that because it's yeah. what they wanted, whether it was time back, more vacation time, money, uh, driving a Lamborghini for a couple of days. You know yeah. what I mean? Like certain what people, like, right, yeah. exactly. So, <laughs> so I think, you know, thankfully, you know, I, I, I like I said, and I, this is the, this is that transition to the genuine curiosity. I've always, been relatively genuinely curious right to be because i always I, I don't know whether it comes from i know i'm not the smartest kid in the room you know what i mean i didn't go to harvard i did you know i went to a state school drank my way through four years of college i did i'm you know i'm not dumb but i i i have i had to work really hard at school to be you know to get a 3.4 or whatever i ended up getting uh -huh. um but I was always, I've always been able to connect with people to to be curious, like, and, and give a shit. And I always call it the give a shit factor. Like, in order yeah, for yeah. you to care, in order for you to be curious, uh -huh. you have to genuinely give a shit about what you're looking to learn about, right? right. Whether it's a person or a thing or a, whatever it might be. So that's my kind of non-scholastic uh, <laughs> uh yeah non-technical way of explaining yeah. genuine curiosity but help me understand this yeah how do you for somebody that doesn't have it intuitively like what are some of the hacks let's start with the, what are the things that get in the way of genuine curiosity because i think you phrased that really well up front like what does get in the way of genuine curiosity well i think that we need to go to the beginning of where it where it is to start with because we all have it it is part of us as we're Kids. even birds animals yeah I mean, if a bird flies around a bush of berries and it's not curious it runs out of berries it doesn't last very long right nope. so we have this innate sense of curiosity but what happens is interesting to look at it around age five it peaks and then it just starts to tank completely and that's wow. what fascinated me because you know you talk about you know, you can watch some of the the um, TED Talks about creativity and curiosity, and they're very similar in what happens at that five-year-old age point. Um, Sir Ken Robinson has a great TED Talk. Everybody's probably seen it, and they don't even know they've seen it because it's so popular. Yeah. But he talks about how we're educating people out of our uh, capabilities. Yeah. And um, and also George Land has a TED Talk that he studied kids at Na through NASA trying to figure out what happens because we have these creative geniuses that at age two, like 98%, and by the time we're 31, we have 2% or something. I mean, the numbers yeah. are just staggering. I, yeah, I don't yeah. know the exact numbers on my head, but um, it's very, it's dramatically different. And it's the same thing I found with curiosity. We have this unbelievably high level, and then life happens. And that was what I wanted to find out. What about life happened mm -hmm. that, that takes it from some of us and maybe not some of the others? I mean, you mentioned Elon Musk and yeah. um, Steve Jobs, I'm thinking of Steve Wozniak, and I'm thinking of some of the people I studied when I was researching this, because there's some of them that continue to have this amazing desire to explore, and then others, eh, not so much. So what I did was when I started to research what holds us back, 
I started out by looking at um, just in LinkedIn. I started asking people uh, just out of curiosity. Hey, what holds you back from curiosity? Mm-hmm. And yep. People, I just started with a thread many years ago, and people were giving me a lot of fear-based things, you know, initially. And I, yeah. of course, I think you know, yeah, a lot of people don't want to look dumb. Hey, yeah. you know, I'm in a meeting, sitting next to John in a meeting, and I'm like, I want to ask a question. Uh, hey, John, why don't you ask? Because I don't want to be the dumb one, you know. Have John ask. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. But that happens all the time, right? You yeah. just don't, no one wants to ask the question that makes them look dumb. All right, everyone. Dr. Diane is super insightful. Her knowledge and expertise is really helpful when it comes to navigating sales conversations, but also when it comes to how we govern our day-to-day routines. The level at which our emotions drive decision-making made a huge splash for me when I heard her talk about that, but we have a lot more to come. Don't forget to visit ondemand.jbarrows.com to dive into JB Sales On Demand and grow your sales techniques today. Also, send me your sales wins at james at jbarrows.com to be highlighted on the show. Today, we're highlighting Brian Mulry, an account development representative with Google who binge-watched Filling the Funnel on JB Sales On Demand last week. Brian was able to schedule his first meeting five days after watching the training session, but since then has set six more meetings in the following week. Amazing, Brian. See you when I get back to Dublin, my friend. Once again, you can visit JB Sales On Demand at ondemand.jbarrows.com to subscribe today and start advancing your sales skills with John, Morgan, myself, and the rest of the incredible sales community that's contributed to the lessons delivered there. Reach out to me if you have any questions. I'll talk to you soon. Let's get back to the show. And so I thought, okay, but there's more than just fear things here. I started looking and I started, I, I thought I'm going to do some research to see what holds people back from being curious because nobody had studied that. You, you yeah. There's like big five factors of personality that looks at openness to experience and things like that. But that's really how high or low your level is. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I heard all these people from, you know, the psychometric statisticians because who loves doing statistics? I have lots of people to do, but not me. <laughs> not my favorite thing. Yeah. But I knew how to do it. But I thought, well, I want to get these experts just to make sure it's done the best way possible. But it was really funny to me when they first started creating these questions, they were all, are you curious or not kind of responses. And I'm like, no, no, that's been done. I don't want to redo the wheel. I, I want this to be done. So I ended up doing my own factor analysis and teaching myself that to get it the correct way. And after a couple of years, I got some really great data back that showed there's four things that keep people from being okay. curious. So the acronym is FATE, F-A-T-E. So okay. fear you probably guessed is, you know, you don't want to look dumb. You want, you don't want to look unprepared. You know, you don't want everybody to think that you haven't done what you should be doing. I mean, there's so many aspects of fear, but uh, assumptions was also an interesting one to me, um, which is basically that voice in your head. And that can overlap with fear. And some of these can overlap to some extent. Uh, we tell ourselves, you know, I took that when I was young, I really didn't like it, or somebody told me that that would be boring, or, you know, you think of the dialogue you have going on. Um, and technology is really the over or underutilization of it can keep us from exploring because we become overwhelmed, or it's, mm. we, we become behind, or, you know, there's a lot of that. And then environment is, you know, your brutal siblings who told you that's a stupid thing to, <laughs> to research or your, your teacher who didn't have time to answer your questions. Mm-hmm. But I think in all of these, um, 
fear with leaders. If you know, you're talking about uh, what can hold you back. I had a, a boss uh, not that long ago. And, uh, it, you know, since I'm old enough and he was younger, he's probably your age, you know, and um, I can be. I don't know. If I, I bet you. <laughs> tough to manage somebody older than you, right? Yeah, and so, yeah. and I have had a lot of experience. And he gave me some kind of a task to do I never had to do in any job, never would have needed to do. And um, I said, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to do that. How do you do that? And he goes, well, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. Okay. So. He's trying to intimidate, you know, to make you feel stupid, right? That yeah. you, you don't know this. I, and, and that kind of thing, leaders do that. They don't realize that they do that. And if I'd been young, that might have shut me down right. and made me never ask another question. But because I'm old and hardened, I'm like, <laughs> yep. no, what, what, what? don't say that to me. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm at that point in my career. Yep. But he didn't recognize he was shutting people down because he mm. had leaders who talked to him like that. And mm. we told people in the past. Um, you know, don't come to us with problems unless you have solutions. How many people you've heard that, right? Because you don't want whiners. You don't want anybody to come bitching about things and then not solving it, right? But you really shut out the people who can recognize things but aren't qualified to solve things when you do mm -hmm. that. So you, we, a lot of leaders are causing this fear. I had um, Francesca Gino on my show who wrote a great HBR article about the case for curiosity. Mm -hmm. And, uh, she, you know, she has this, a lot she studies at Harvard that she just is amazing with this. Mm -hmm. um, but, she, you know, she was talking about how a lot of leaders think that they encourage curiosity if you, you survey them. But if you ask their employees, it's way different of what yeah. they think. There's a, lots of blocking, you know, of their curiosity involved, yeah. just like that guy. He probably thought he was great. And yeah. then it took me being this lovely, difficult child saying, hey, don't do that. That's rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pushing back on him, right? Because very few people probably did. Well, no one would have told him that, you know. Right. And, and a lot of leaders they do that pufferfish thing. They want to seem like they know everything, mm -hmm. but you know they're just like everybody else. They don't know everything, and they don't want to look like dumb like everybody else. So they have a high F on the fear sometimes. So that's huge. But um, I, I just you know go through the other ones a little bit um, on assumptions that voice in our head. It's I, I often refer to it as you know kind of like if you hold it to a glass of water and if you just hold it for a little while, it doesn't bother you, right? You hold on to it a little longer, your arm gets tired, yeah. you hold on to it all day, you're paralyzed. Well, those are the thoughts in your head, you know, a fleeting thought, no big deal. The more you, you know, ruminate and think about it, the mm -hmm. more it's going to hold you back and then eventually mm -hmm. it'll paralyze you. And that's the thing with curiosity. It, it, it really will hold people back if they keep telling themselves there is too much work. I don't want to do it. I've done it in the past. I was going to say, is it, a, is it to a certain degree, whether conscious or subconscious, is it a little bit of a laziness factor? Because we're trying to take a shortcut to it something else, right? Yeah. Well, it can be. I, have you ever noticed people who seem lazy are only really lazy when it's something that doesn't interest them? You know 100%. what I'm saying? Yeah, right. Yeah. right. And they think that they're not interested in it because of what they're telling themselves sometimes. You know what I mean? Or they're fearful of it or... You know, and then the technology thing, a lot of people uh, are telling themselves this is too hard. I'm overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So it overlaps with technology. Um, you mentioned uh, Steve Jobs. I mean, uh, I mentioned Wozniak before, yeah. and it makes me think of um, how he embraced technology so much at an older age. But a lot of that overlap was from environment because his father uh, was a genius too. And he would come home with all these gadgets and, and things from work. And then he would give them to young was, you know, and say, Hey, go play with this, but Figure let me show out. you. He didn't just hand it to him and say, have a good day. 
he would just show them how the wires connect to this and why you need battery for that. And, you know, if you get that outside influence of your environment teaching you that this is exciting and this is why this works, and mm-hmm. then you become super curious. And so, you know, that environment can have a huge impact. That So that's what I'm a little bit of afraid of right now. Because, and again, I'm going to talk in very general terms. Gen Xer, um, about to be 45. Uh, I feel like our generation was the last one who was inherently able to figure it out, right? So like when I was bored in the house, you know, my mom would kick me out of the house and say, go play and be home by dinner, right? And so I would have to go break shit, whatever, burn things down, and I would come back, right? And so we figured things out. But this generation, and Morgan and I, my uh, colleague that I brought on board, he's a millennial. Mm-hmm. We actually have a whole keynote around this about how this generation or younger generations, every minute of their lives has been structured, right? So they go from school to this hour to this hour, then they have soccer practice for thir- you know two hours, then they have their yeah. iPad for 30 minutes, then they have to do homework for two hours. <laughs> and then what happens is they get out into the real world and they get managers like me who who say, all right, cool, g- giddy up, go figure it out. And they're like, whoa, what do, what do you mean figure it out? <laughs> and then you layer on the fact that they've been taught to the test, right? So now it's yeah, no yeah. longer critical thinking. It's you got to pass that MCAT. You got to get that score to be able to get into college. So I'm going to teach you to that test. I'm not going to teach you critical thinking, right? Right, right, right? So you get a kid who comes out and then a manager like me who says, figure it out. And they look at you sideways. And the, the, the reaction from our generation is, oh, well, you don't know? Well, then here's a script. Here's a template. Here's, a, here's exactly how to do that, which crushes even, even more. And they don't like right. that. Right, right, right. So I, I have this whole thing about structure, how structure is the, the connective tissue, Right. I don't know about you. I don't like being in structure, right? You put structure on me. I I, I think there's got to be a better way of doing this, right? Right, right, right? I like building structure, but I don't like being in it. Where this generation in general needs structure. And if they don't have it, they fall apart, but they'll thrive within it better than it, better than you and I ever would. Right. It, are are we with our education system and are we are we inhibited are we inherently the way that we are now like every kid has to do all this other stuff. Are we inherently beating curiosity out of children? Well, it is back to that we're educating out of our competencies to some extent. Um, I, I think though, you know, I I think that some companies really get letting exploration take place. I mean, we yeah. always hear about Google. Google. Yeah. yeah, we always hear that story, right? And I've mm-hmm. had a lot of Google people on my show and we talked about that. But I, I, I think that companies need to have reward systems for thinking in different ways and 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 showcase when people do something that's outside of the thinking i i, I often talk about how we 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 think too much in our own cubicle but then we get maybe even our own division and in our own uh, silo and then we get that silo effect because we yep. only we only want what we have we don't want to share with this group and, and there gets to be that really structured thing that that's when I train people. A lot of the things we talk about are some of the examples of companies that went completely outside and they think completely in a different way. I had a hospital uh, in in London I wrote about where they were losing people from the OR to recovery. That when they transferred them, they were having people die because they weren't having a very efficient process. And you know, a lot of people just go back to the manual and go, "Well, let's fix this." And, you know, and they tried that. Nothing ever got better, right? It was very structured. But then they were watching one night, a couple of the executives were watching this Ferrari race car team and they would did the pit, pit stop. You know, they'd take part, the car, yeah. put it back together in seven seconds and boom, they'd be off. And mm-hmm. they're watching this and they're going, how can they do that? And we can't even move a patient from here to here, right? right, right. And so they actually hired that race car team to come into the hospital 
and watch what they did and interact with them to see how they could change things. Oh shit. And with fresh eyes looking at, you know, at this and from their own efficiency perspective, they yeah. gave them a few suggestions and they dramatically improved their wow. process. So I think it's that giving permission to think outside of this box. But as mm-hmm. you said, it you can't do it all in one like here, you're let loose into the right. wilderness because people freak out, right? Totally freak out. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's baby steps. It's baby steps right. and rewards for those baby steps and, and working on them together. Like um, just a problem that you see together and, and just brainstorming and not necessarily where they're overwhelmed by other people that can overtake um, the conversation because you get a bunch of introverts in a room with extroverts and you're gonna have a hard time getting the introverts to give you their input, right? Yeah. So pr- what in that situation, they might do it if you give them uh, ahead of time, this is what we're gonna talk about and give them preparation time. And, and so you you have to look at each person in an individual kind of way. Not not all Gen Xers are sure. out, out this way and not all millennials are this way. But if you share with them the value, it's just like any sales thing is painting a picture of what they get mm-hmm. for doing it a certain way and finding out their reward, what's rewarding to them and say, hey, you know, let's let's try you, you thinking this way for a while, because it does take a little bit of unprogramming. Um, and and there's nothing wrong with structure if if it's meeting the goals that everybody's trying to have. You know what I mean? But when structure is stifling you, um, you have to think that for people to be truly innovative, we want them to be curious to think about things. Uh, the, um, I think it was the uh, a hospital, I mean, a hotel chain. I'm trying to think if it's the, um, I can't remember which chain, but it went into business with, uh, it, it was the Regis, I think, went in with Neiman Marcus. And mm. they decided to take advantage of closet space in their hotels. They had this is just, you know, you can look at the same way, the structure of how hotels work, right? They always do things the same way. Yep. But they looked at this blank space and they thought, how can we make this make us some money? And so they decided to take Neiman Marcus and do a partnership. And they created a uh, just a form they give to people before they stayed at the hotel. Said, hey, tell us what your shirt size and your shoe size and your, you know, different things and what you like and your colors. And they stocked the closet, which is normally empty filled with some of these things that are really cool. And like a mini bar, if you use it, you you pay for it when you leave yeah. and not, you know, yeah. and so it's getting those kinds of creative ideas of how you can partner and come up with different things that if you share stories like that with people and because people don't even think like that naturally, mm-hmm. unless they hear examples sometimes, yep. like I wouldn't have ever thought to ask the Ferrari team to come right, look. Right. I wouldn't have thought that we could em- an empty closet could be anything. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it, it sometimes takes um, sharing some of these really unusual stories with people and telling them that nothing is off limits. Uh, and I think that that's, that's kind of rewarding in itself that they have that freedom yeah. and maybe assigning a certain day. This is the day we have what if, why not days, you know? Uh, see, that's that my problem has always been I'm a high D, right? On the disc, yeah. like I'm a, I'm a hard charger. And, yeah. and I've always said to my team, no, challenge me, challenge, you know, I need you to challenge. I got to get you. But the problem is, is I'm so opinionated that even if I'm wrong, I will go forward with whatever my opinion is. And people, to your point of the introverts, uh-huh. like, 
they, they're like, yeah, he, I know he told me to challenge him, but I am not going to challenge him because that's just not the type of person I am. Right. So right, it was right. inherently frustrating to me where I would tell my team, Hey, you gotta be, you gotta be strategic thinking, like stop just going through the motions here, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, John, I, I don't even understand what strategic thinking is. And so I, and I had to break it down to him and, and, and compartmentalize it. And I was like, look, strategic thinking is no nothing more than creating a process and then finding the weakest link within that process, pulling that little piece down, coming up with some ideas around that thing, plugging it back in and seeing how it runs. I go, that's how you can get on your way to strategic thinking. And then we ought to almost force days, times where we would just take the gloves off and say, nothing's a crazy idea here. Let, yeah. Let's talk. What's the goal that we're trying to achieve? All right. What is the most whacked out thing that anybody could think of to achieve that goal? Yeah. Okay. Let's back. Let, let's now bounce some ideas around here. Right. But it was taking myself out of mm -hmm. and letting that foster almost by itself without me even there. And I find the more yeah, that yeah. I'm not there, the more creativity happens. Because I definitely can get get overwhelmed by leadership or strong personalities. Uh, they, they, they'll take a back seat sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, and it, as you're talking about that, when we would run the, these, when I was looking at redeveloping the MBA program, some of the things that we're trying to incorporate was critical thinking skills, right? Yeah. And that's so important. But when I train people to do the curiosity code index, when we, I train like HR professionals and, and, um, you know, all these consultants and people like that to be certified. I teach them like how to do certain um, aspects of developing some of these skills. And what we do is we find out from leaders, what are your top things they're trying to, to improve? Are they trying to improve innovation and engagement? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times critical thinking comes out. And mm -hmm. so some of those things that sometimes we'll just say, well, what kind of things can you do as an employee? We go right to employees and ask them, what do you think would develop your critical thinking skills? And sometimes they'll give suggestions and or if it's an engagement about that. And we take all those suggestions and then we send them back to leaders mm -hmm. and in, in a report. So it's not coming directly right. from the employee and it's their name isn't on it. It's a combination of things. And but it's answering all those questions Kind of like Disney, when they had a lot of turnover, they went to their employees and that were a high turnover in their laundry division and said, how can we make your job better? They got feedback. I mean, mm -hmm. real things that they could do. For critical yeah. thinking, an example, you know, if I saw somebody say, you know, if you let me on every other Friday when we have these events, uh, you know, meetings that we have, uh, let me present something about a topic of my choice that I think would help people uh, learn more about something. Um, it would help me look at research the different things and think which things to incorporate. Mm -hmm. And if I if I talk about something that I'm interested in, uh, but I'll learn the most because I'm teaching it. Mm -hmm. No way to learn something like to teach it, right? Right. And course, yet, yeah. so that's building my critical thinking skills, and yet sharing things that everybody else needs to know. I, I, I've had them come up with ideas of different games to help the salespeople. I used to play. Um, Family Feud a lot, you know, and Family yeah. Feud is a great way to learn your sales products, right? Yeah. Yeah. And build teamwork. So coming mm -hmm. up with these creative curiosity based ways to build these different ways of learning. I mean, mm -hmm. I would much rather play Family Feud to, to build teamwork <laughs> and to learn my product. Oh, then yeah. sit there and study and take a test, wouldn't absolutely. you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But that is also, again, that's, I think, somebody like you and me versus somebody else who wants to right. take a test, right? So we right, still right. look so at you those have individual traits. Right. So you yeah. have to give options to people. Would yeah. you rather, you know? And, but I don't think it needs to be all one thing or all another. No. You know what I mean? Mixing it up makes it interesting for everybody. 
and you find out what people like and what they don't like. Sometimes people think they would hate the family feud thing and then they, right. and they love they it. They get into it and they're all yeah, like, you know. <laughs> or like the uh, escape room stuff. I remember when I, like yeah. at first, my wife was like, she brought me to escape. I'm like, this is going to be dumb. Right. Yeah, but yeah. as soon as we got in there, I'm like, ooh, I got this. <laughs> you know what I mean? All of a sudden, I'm like, and I'm not like in it. Right. Yeah. So popular. They're fun. Um, a couple more, just genuine, just curiosity on my part. Do you believe that people, let's talk about sales real quick. Um, do you believe people buy on emotion, back it up with fact? Is that, is that still something that you hear that all the time, right? People buy on emotion. So connect on the emotional level and then back it up with facts. Is that too broad of a statement? Uh, or do you think there's a, there's some meat to that one? I, you know, I've written blogs about that, how much emotion plays into so many aspects of marketing sales. I wrote a brand publishing course that was all talking about, you know, a lot of those aspects of emotion. Yeah. It's a huge part in, in sales. I, I think that you got to have to know the emotion. You know, what it brings to mind is a doctor I called on um, when I was a pharmaceutical rep. I remember I had a migraine drug and I... I, my sales pitch was like, you know, I painted the picture. We used to have to paint this picture in their head, you know, and I'm like, your patient's going to call you at midnight. They're going to not, you know, they're going to wake you up. They're going to have to go to the ER mm -hmm. and, you know, and um, thinking, you know, I'm setting this guy up to just say, oh yeah, I need that. Right. Yeah. And he came back with, I don't care if they go to the ER that comes out of somebody else's budget. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing I'm like is check this guy off my list for dog. Yeah. <laughs> But, okay. <laughs> yeah, but his the emotional pain for him wasn't the emotional pain I thought it was. Yeah. So it trying to guess people's emotional pain is a tough one for a lot of things. And so that comes back to curiosity. So you know when I talk about curiosity, you were talking about you know sparks to things. I always talk about curiosity is the spark to everything else. And I didn't recognize it so much until I started to write about it because I everybody hires me to speak about emotional intelligence, soft skills, and all these things yeah. before this, right? So I started, I wrote a chapter on leadership. I wrote a chapter on critical thinking. I wrote a chapter on emotional intelligence and engagement and innovation. And, and I started to realize that, wow, curiosity was the thing that came first with everything. And so when I'd have all these Harvard professors like Francesca Gino or Amy Edmondson or all these amazing names on Daniel Goldman, doesn't matter, whoever was on my show, yeah. say, what comes first? Curiosity or emotional intelligence? Curios you know, what, what comes first? And everybody was saying curiosity is the spark. So here's how it happens in the working world when you're dealing with this, these emotions and different things is, is you have to look at the curiosity aspect because, okay, let's say your end product you're trying to create is cake. Okay, let's, we'll get back to curiosity, but stay with me yep, for a minute. Yep, yep. Okay, so cake is your end product and you know the ingredients, you know, you need flour and eggs and all the ingredients, you're mixing mm -hmm. them together, you put them in the pan, you put it in the oven, what happens? Well, you want cake, right? Right. But if you didn't turn on the oven, what do you get? Ah, uh, yeah. You get, get goo, right? Yeah, you get a bunch of goo. Okay, so, so if your end product in the workplace is productivity, financial, you know, results, yeah. money, that's your cake. The ingredients you're trying to mix together mm -hmm. are critical thinking, engagement, innovation, all, you know, motivation, drive, everything that you talk about. Mm -hmm. Mix it together, but nobody's turning on the cake. I mean, on the oven. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. on the oven of curiosity. And if you don't spark that spark, you're not. I'm thinking of the Mission Impossible life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Can you sing that for me? Because I can't sing. But yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> I can't sing it. Do you know what I mean? If yeah, you, I know exactly you won't see the thing burning into the mm -hmm. to the end, and 
that's where everybody's not starting at the beginning. And I didn't recognize it till I did this research of how critical that spark is. And to spark that, you have to look at what stops it. And to figure out what stops it, you got to assess these things. And then you make baby steps towards all these little aspects and create kind of a personal SWOT analysis of, you know, what's holding you back? What are your weaknesses and threats? And then steps to overcome those and just baby step Bob this way through this of um, just bite-sized pieces of ways to overcome those fears and assumptions and technology. You know what I mean? Have low tech days, high tech days, recognize that your family screwed you up, recognize that because of that, you never tried this. And so now, Hey, I don't care what my brother said or my sister said, or my mom, you know, said I had to be a lawyer or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You have different interests that they, than they have, and maybe look into exploring and, and different things. And it could be starting small, like reading a different section of the newspaper today, mm-hmm. or taking a different route to work. It could start small, mm-hmm. but I think that recognizing what you tell yourself and writing down in the minute of when you say it, you don't like something. Why don't I like? What, what did I just tell myself? And maybe I would if I did it a different way. Maybe I had this instructor that was monotone and she drove yeah. me crazy. And what you know, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no. I, yeah. You know, I think of uh, you know the Jim Carrey movie Yes Man. Right, right. He just says he was saying no to everything. And he just starts saying yes to everything, and it all of a sudden the world opens up to him. Right, I mean, it has its limitations. Yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so awesome. Well, yeah. look, this this has been fascinating. Um, Thank you. I, you know, I appreciate the conversation here. Where can um, where can people le- learn more? Because I I know you got a lot of books and you do a lot of different things here. So where can people learn more about this specifically? You know, from a sales standpoint of unlocking curiosity and and maybe pulling away some of those inhibitors that you talked about. Well, you know, I have so much information at drdianehamilton.com, but within the site, there's the Curiosity Code Index. You can take that there. There's the, uh, if you want to, if you're a consultant or an HR professional, you can come certify if you want to give it to your organization, if you're a leader or whatever you want to do with that. I also certify people to give it, but uh, you can also find out more about perception and perception index there. Uh, I have a free course on my site, uh, Develop Curiosity uh, is on there. You can learn more there, but just contacting me through Dr. Diane Hamilton or social media at Dr. Diane Hamilton, just the DR for doctor. You can find me anywhere. Follow me, ask me questions. Happy to answer. Awesome. And just out of curiosity, are you a high I, low D on the disc? ID, secondary I. Okay. Because uh, have you ever seen, last thing here, have you ever seen Crystal Nose by any chance? No. What is that? So Crystal, look it up. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L, Nose, K-N-O-W-S. It's huh? a disc profile of anybody you're connected to on LinkedIn, and it tells ah. it just based on how you write. So how you write tells me a lot. Of, so this, I'm looking at this right now. It says it comes naturally for Diane to lead the conversation in a meeting, stick to the big picture, speak persuasively in a one-on-one meeting. Diane is most motivated by experience with new things, public speaking, thinking on her feet, uh, most stressed by repetitive routine tasks, rigid, inflexible schedules, researching data. When speaking, you tell a few jokes, use visual aids when possible, be less polished and more dynamic. So it actually goes through. And it gives compares- you tips on how to get better. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, well, it also gives me tips on how my personality matches to yours okay. and how I need to adjust. I I love that. Who yeah. I have to have them. So I, I know the CEO really well. He's a, he's a friend of mine. I want him on the show. I will absolutely bring you on. He's absolutely, uh, it's fascinating to me. I was freaked out when I first got it because it was so spot on with my personality. Uh-huh. I called him up. I'm like, how did you figure this out? I'm like, you know, have you been following me type of thing? But it's actually one of my favorite tools in sales because it's kind of the shortcut. 
Because yeah. right before I meet with you, if you're an executive, I put your name in a crystal nose. And what I'm trying to see is, are you and I the same? Like, are you a high D and I'm a high D? Because that's what I did with this one. And I knew I didn't have to adjust our, my, my approach, right? If you were a high S or a high C or something like that, I knew I would have to adjust a little bit. But it, it's, a, it's a really fascinating... And it's based on your LinkedIn profile. So it's interesting of how many people are telling the truth on LinkedIn. Well, well, regardless of whether you're telling the truth, the way you write, right? Neurolinguistic ah. programming, all that stuff, like the words that you use uh -huh. tell a lot about you, you know, short, yeah. punchy versus long and detailed, right? Uh -huh. So uh -huh. uh, I'll oh, introduce like you to Drew. He, he's a cool guy, but. Uh, I would love that. Thank awesome. you so much, though, John. This was fun. I love to do it. Great conversation. I, yeah, I love that you're, you're trying to get people out there to embrace curiosity. because so, uh, so I couldn't agree with you more that I think it's one of the most important traits of any true sales professional who cares. Right. And when I, and again, I generalize it as the give a shit factor. Um, you know, once you genuinely give a shit about something, that's when you really start to click on that curiosity factor. And so because I am curious about curiosity, you know, that that's how I, I, I was really happy to see you up on the schedule here for the podcast. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on, Diane. It's my pleasure. Cool. Well, look, everybody, hopefully you all got as much value out of this, this conversation as I did. Uh, and as I always say, no matter how bad your day goes, uh, go out there and make somebody smile today. Because uh, if you made somebody smile, you know you had a good day and we need a lot more of that these days. So thank you all very much and have a fantastic day. All right, guys, Dr. Hamilton had some amazing insights to deliver on the show today. I know that if it weren't for the constructive feedback that I received through my sales career, I wouldn't be where I am today. We're looking forward to next week's episode, but before then, be sure and visit ondemand.jbarrows.com. There, you can subscribe and start learning to prospect using JB Sales techniques and tactics, build your personal brand, and ultimately become the well-rounded sales professional that you want to be. Reach out to me at Jane at jbarrows.com and hit me up if you'd like to connect and talk about what you can get from the platform. Have a great week, everyone. Let's make it happen.